Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Well, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. Today, the doctor is in. One of our favorite physicians, one of the original first physician guests on our podcast. We are so thankful for her. Dr. Cami Benton, you may have uh, heard us talk about. She's actually mentioned in Dr. Uh, Robert Kennedy's book, Um, the real Anthony Fauci. She is listed as one of the medical heroes. And I have to say, because of my sweet sister, Anna White, I knew about Cami long before that book came out as a physician here in North Carolina that had discovered some things. And what I loved about Cami was, uh, first of all, she's a North Carolinian like we are, but she was a, she is a general practitioner that graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So great medical school. So she has Actually, that- I went to ECU, just I went to East Carolina and then and for the medicine residency at Chapel Hill. The residency, thank you. Thank you, Cammie. Sorry, I had that wrong. So she was at East Carolina and then did her residency at Chapel Hill. So that traditional tract, right? That traditional, um, go through your medical school, do your residency, that traditional tract. And then along the way discovered, hmm, maybe some things I've been taught aren't accurate and hmm when you ask questions and you deviate from traditional thought hmm there's a backlash that's weird and so what we loved about cami is that in spite of this her personal experience with her own children which i'm sure she'll talk about again today her personal experience as a doctor and then what she was experiencing for herself she saw that there was a problem and to her credit she has spoken out about it ever since and then certainly over the last two years because of the pandemic she was a voice we looked to to get her insight because we knew she would not be afraid to say what she was seeing and experiencing versus what she was told to say and how she was told to practice so Cammie, we wanted to talk to you again because the flu season is here Yay, <laughs> flu season all the propaganda (laughs) and all the propaganda about the flu shot is here too and we know people are like do I get it do I not so we wanted to bring an actual physician back in to talk about all the things so before we jump into flu just to recap really quick Cami I want to kind of start here as a practicing physician there was a flu shot mandate you had seen some some issues with your children with some vaccines and started to ask questions. But as you will, um, you know, as you shared on our previous podcast, and we can point people back to that, even with your own children having some adverse reactions because you were so 
It was so ingrained in you that you don't question, you do not question the vaccine program. You continue to vaccinate and see even more of, of those issues. So at some point though, you're having to also, you're under those same mandates as a practicing physician in a hospital. So will you tell everyone, your, will you recap that story of how you went down the rabbit hole and what you found about the flu vaccine? Yes. It's like, it is one of my favorite stories because it was a, uh... And honestly, you know, I believe as you ladies know, is that God puts us in different trials and tribulations really to learn from. And, and if you're willing to open up your heart and trust the truth, you just have to go with it. And, um, and, and so as some of my undoing was once I, you know, I grew up like poor, we didn't have medical care, you know, so I didn't have that kind of idea of what medicine was supposed to be like, except for like what was on TV kind of thing. And then when I went to uh, medical school, I think I was just so busy and surviving. But by the time residency came around, I started noticing like how we were taught to not believe patients and how we were taught to, you know, they talked about, oh, they're looking at Dr. Google, you know, and really dismissing patients. And that bothered me a lot. And then coming out of uh, training, still realizing like, I'm just doling out pills to everyone. And meeting a naturopath in Charlotte, uh, Mike Smith, uh, is like, oh, there's a whole other field of medicine out there. And I had no clue. And just being a little bit like aware of like, I might not know it all here. You know, I was very humbled, uh, by that. And so then of course, then I start vaccinating my children and I was just wild and crazy. And I just didn't have them do the hepatitis B vaccine in the hospital. <laughs> I waited until two months, you know, very daring, right? That was where I was. And my first one, you know, I, I, I won't go into too much of those, but the first one started having vaccine reactions at two months right away, but we we're trained so much of those abnormal reactions are really normal, which it's not, they're just common. Normal does not equate to common, you know, it's not the same thing. So we watched her and then, so I was going through this whole transition with my children having, you know, one child had neurologic reactions, one had autoimmune and one had major GI issues and mitochondrial issues that we had to really explore functional medicine, you know, homeopathy, nutrition, all that to recover them. But in the midst of that, that was just predating. So I would say this around 2000. 11, 2012, that I started like, wait a second, you know, really starting to question things. And then, so I started doing actually, but I was still not, I was still in the other side that actually for three years in a row, they're talking about really pushing the flu vaccine. And even though I'd never had a flu vaccine my whole life, nor had the flu, um, I was like, okay, I got to get it. And I'm, a, I'm having kids and I need to do my duty and get the flu vaccine. And I made my family get the flu vaccine. Like you hear this story all the time. And, and they dutifully did it for the sake of my babies to keep them safe, you know? So I was on the other side completely. And then I watched them. And, and now I would tell you, I was never militant about it in the sense that like when I had patients question vaccines and didn't want it, I didn't harass them. But I remembered one of them mentioning um, Wakefield and I was like, but wasn't he put in jail or something like that? You know, I had all the typical misinformation about that, but I, I'm like, okay, it's your kid's body. I like, I didn't really push anyone. So I have to say, I'm glad I was never that kind of doctor, but for my family, like for my kids, I was like, for my kids, I wanted them to be, have the flu vaccine because they were just pushing it. Well, three years in a row, they all got sick, classic flu-like illness, 
fever for a week. Now I, however, developed what they call serum sickness. I stayed sick for months. I didn't actually get fever. I just stayed sick and sick and sick. So it would go on about like four to five months every winter, three years in a row. This tells like the listeners out there how like slow and dense I was. Three years in a row, I made them do it. And every year they get, I'm like, okay, like I'm pissed. So then that's when I started digging into there. And then I, that's when, after that year is when it actually truly became mandated at the system I was at, you know, until then it was more a strong push. Uh, so by the time it came to the actual mandate, I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, no, I'm like, I'm not going to. And then I started digging in. And so I wrote to the guy who created the policy at the institution. I'm going to leave it at the institution. Um, you know, I was like up to work if you wanted to. Uh, and I said, hey, uh, dear doctor, like, can you show me the data behind which you're mandating this? And he says, oh, I don't have anything. But, you know, all the major organizations recommend it. And he lists like the AAP, the AMA, and the AFP, you know, you just list all these things. I'm like, okay. So I wrote all of the ones that he listed. And most of them, half of them didn't even write back. A couple of them said, um, yeah, we don't have anything. The AAP said, hey, we don't have anything on our website. Uh, have you checked out the NIH? This is the American Academy of Pediatrics. The only one that I got back was the American Hospitals Association that gave me the nursing home studies, a very small study that showed that they compared the where they mandated the vaccine versus not, and they found an overall decreased mortality, but there was no difference in the flu or pneumonia. So we don't really know. In a small study, that really just honestly means nothing. So that was the only study I could find, but that's when I stumbled upon the Cochrane database meta-analysis, which I can, I'm going to upload, I'm going to send you guys the a slideshow and we'll go over some of the data there, but in a minute. So that was, I, I was like, wait a second, there's like, it doesn't decrease hospitalization rate, you know, transmission rate, death rate. They're like, why am I getting this? And it's, and it says the average, and that one said it averaged about 40 to 60% efficacy in perfectly matched years. You know, perfectly matched years is higher, but it was so rarely ever perfectly matched. It was really averaging about 19 to 20% efficacy. And that's even a relative risk, you know, the relative risk versus absolute risk, you know. And even then, I'm like, decreases risk of what? Because if you're not preventing hospitalization rate, death rate, transmission rate, who cares? Like, just treat your flu. This kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? Uh, okay. Yes, exactly. This was, this playbook is in play. And then that was the beginning of my realization that they've been on this playbook for decades, really. So this has been in practice. They're just practicing to have more and more of the dogma and the religion of vaccine science to make us believe whatever. And I was, I was on that. I believed I believed. Fortunately, I didn't worship, but I believed. Um, I was like a bad church going Christian. I didn't go to church, but you know, you know, that kind. Um, so I I wrote to him actually, I was like, do you realize that there's really no data? Uh, and he's like, well, it just is the government's recommending we do this. So I told my partners, I'm like, dudes, did you guys know? And they're like, their jaws dropped. They didn't know. However, most of them continued to give it in spite of knowing the true data because we have quality care metrics 
that we, that they measure us and we have to follow every three months to get feedback from our administrators to make sure we're getting the, the kickbacks from insurance companies and from the government. And Medicare is actually given a 2% Medicare bonus, by the way, for compliance for the flu vaccine mandates for the hospital systems. So just follow the money across the board. So I really lost a lot of respect for doctors knowing the real data and continuing to give it because they wanted to get a good grade. You know, this is, yes, as an aside, you think about doctors make the perfect, you know, we're, we want straight A's, we're overachievers, we, we want to be the best and they start training you very early on. You don't want to be that crazy quack. You want to be the best. And so that, that mindset, we make really good Nazi doctors, quite frankly, that we follow the, what they tell us to do. Cause we believe we are followers. We, we're just there doing the work, right. Instead of the leaders that we really should be. So I went through it and I was like, I couldn't get them to listen. And I just discovered more data. I actually wrote to Peter Doshi, who is like one of the editors in um, the BMJ. And he wrote back to me, gave me data. I mean, he was amazingly approachable. And I'm like, I was like, I can't believe this guy is like, write me back, you know? And then uh, so I was like trying to sound the alarms and no one seemed to care. I'm like, where is everyone's concern here? So I was at a functional medicine conference and I, we were eating lunch. Uh, at, it's like a lunch and learn kind of thing, but we were introducing ourselves around the table. And Again, there are no accidents that God puts in our way. So God put right next to me a senior medical official from the CDC, an MD. And so when she said that, I was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm just coming to enjoy the conference. I'm like, are you like a spy? She's like, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> super nice. She was honestly super nice <laughs> and very nice. So she's like, yeah, you know, they kind of sent me here to see what you guys are saying. And I was like, so what do you think about the flu shot? And she's like, oh, it's really good. I'm like, well, what do you think about the data behind the flu shot? And she's like, that it's good. I'm like, do you know the data? And she's like, no, I guess you're going to tell me the data. I'm assuming it's got to be good for them to push it. And so I started telling her, you know, the various studies that we'll go over. And her jaw dropped. It genuinely, she was shocked. And so she's like, uh, I think you need to talk to my my colleague that I've been trying to get in touch with that no one was ever responding to my messages. So she gave me the actual contact information for the medical director of the influenza division of the CDC. I'm like, score. So <laughs> make the, I'm a scheduled appointment. And I am at this point, I'm a little country doctor in Lincolnton, North Carolina. And <laughs> so I'm like literally hiding in the closet to talk to her. Like I was expecting to be creamed by the CDC. So when I started talking to her, about, and she's an MD as well, just so you know. So I started talking to that director about all the studies and she was like, yep, yep, yep. She just kept agreeing. And I'm like, got to the end, I'm like, rebuttal? She's like, oh, no rebuttal. And I'm like, whoa, 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 like people are losing their jobs across the country and being threatened with their jobs because they're not getting this flu vaccine. She's like, she said, but that's not our recommendation. We're not doing that. That's industry that's doing that, not us. And I'm like, but you guys are important for public health. Like you guys are the ones who push public health policies. And then she says, well, I'm in the military. I'm doing what I'm told. 
She says there will never be a good flu vaccine. We guess a year in advance. You know, we hardly ever get the right strain. She said there's mutations, there's antigenic drift. There's all these things. She's like, we will never have a good flu vaccine. And I'm like, at the end, I'm like, why did I not record this conversation? Because then I felt like I was even crazier because then when I would go tell people and when I have tried to tell people out there, like, you're lying, that would never happen. I was like, I have no proof as he said, he said, she said, but even at that time, now there are studies now listed, but on the CDC website at that time, it just said ongoing studies. They didn't even have studies listed. Now they have some good cherry pick studies to show some miraculous 90% benefit when nothing else shows that. So when, when you look at 40 years of data, it does not show that, but miraculously in the last five to seven years, there's like perfect, almost hundred percent studies, just like the hundred percent efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna, it's like you said, it came, it's the same playbook because we were all told 95% efficacy, take the shot so that you don't spread it. Right. So all the things we were told about the COVID vaccine from the top officials, we're based in what miraculous science, which we now know, guys, and I want everyone to understand this. There was never evidence that that was the case. They nope. cannot show anything to prove to you that they knew 95% efficacy. They can't show anything to you that says it prevented or stopped transmission, which of course it did not. So right. they didn't even study the transmission. They didn't even study right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They told us, go get it. And so, If we can open your eyes to question anything, and again, we always say on this podcast, we're not telling you what to believe. We are challenging you to think, to think and ask the question. So ask yourself, where is the evidence that immunizations, that all the immunizations that are put on the current vaccine schedule, including any flu vaccines, and now of course the COVID vaccines, where's the science and the data, who sponsored it? And where is it? Because as we have individually dug into this, we are shocked at the lack of evidence. Mm -hmm. And as Kami said, it's now just a system we're all expected to play into. But we've all blindly followed because we have trusted the doctors that we thought would lead us. But as Kami just explained to you, why some doctors are not leaders, because they instead are trained. This is part of the indoctrination of you follow and you get the good grade and you overachieve, but you do not question. You like do not question. Yeah, I've said it before, like they're good at regurgitating the information that they're being fed, but they're not good at thinking for themselves. And when you say, when when she says that, you know, the CDC, that that's up to the institutions, you go to any physician or any, any place, they're going to say, according to the CDC. So it's all this blame game going back and forth. And so that's why you just have, you have to, you know, people make fun of people for doing your own research. They make us do our own research because they're not doing it. Nobody else is doing it. And how do you have a 90%, whatever you're, you know, I haven't looked at the studies um, as far as the flu. Well, I mean, I have in the past, I just don't know exactly what it was, but I do know that the flu vaccine was 16% efficacy last year in last flu season. 16% 16% efficacy. That is on the CDC MMWR. Uh, and that what it's called? The MMWR? The MMWR. Yeah. It, 16%. How do you have uh, studies that show that it's so beneficial when it is only six? I mean, I could spit on you and protect you better than that. Right. There's plenty of other studies. Elderberry has better data. 
vitamin D has better data. There's so much that has better data. Right. Well, I think that the the argument has been for, you know, the the COVID and the flu, it's like, okay, it's going to reduce transmission. Well, we know Mm -hmm. now it's not. It's going to reduce hospitalization and death. Well, no, it's not. Well, it's going to reduce the severity of your symptoms. Well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know how you would have dealt with the flu with the flu shot versus without the flu shot? How would you... How do you know? You could have been just fine either way. Right. Yeah. Right. Or not just fine. You could have been and, just as and sick. And you unblinded the trials. So we'll never know. <laughs> because if, if how I handle the flu is going to be different than how you handle That's the it. flu. Exactly. And you, how do you like, study oh, it could have been worse if I didn't have my vaccine. Well, how do you know? <laughs> right. Right. They don't ask. That's the thing that has always like, you see, I mean, we've all seen this on Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. I got COVID. And of course, it's the same one with the profile pictures that say, get your vaccination. And it's like, I got COVID. And of course, when this first started, you know, we all were like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and then what did they say? It was always all about, I'm so glad I did because I can't imagine how bad this would be. And I want to scream into the screen and say, do you know how many people had COVID and didn't know they had COVID? Right. Like, <laughs> like you like the, the, the like you said, Cammy, the severity of the disease really depends on the person. Right. And the treatment, the treatment that yeah. you're administering to yourself, you know, like how you're taking care of yourself, like what you said, like, I'm sure all the things you're going to go over, but it's just so funny to me how anybody can claim that it reduces severity of symptoms when they have no idea they can't compare it to themselves. Right. I mean, I don't know. Just No, I, I'm right there with you. So yeah, all that, you know, and, and even like you were saying about when we studied the vaccines and I'll get more to that later, you know, then I need to tell the rest of the story, but like, but still back in residency and med school, like you're learning so much and everything's supposed to be cutting edge, but I can tell you because there is so much new information every day, you're behind the day you graduate. There's just so much information, which is amazing to be in this day and age with so much new information. It's just so much corrupt information is the problem, but the vaccine science is settled. It is settled science. You don't have to question it. Don't look at the inserts. Don't like if anyone questions it, like they're just crazy. This is the most reliable thing. And if you don't and if you do not say vaccines have saved millions of lives, then you're anti-vax. Like if you don't if you do not believe that, then you are anti-vax. And this is how they shut you down. Anti-vax is a word used to stop all conversation. Mm -hmm. It's to stop all dialogue. And that's what I started discovering. They're like, are you anti-vax? I'm like, well, I'm not anti-vax. I'm just, you know, and then you, and then you feel like you have to like step backwards. Like, wait a second, why are you calling me a name? That's not how we have a conversation. That's not how we have, how we have a debate. But anyway, so after this uh, conversation, I scheduled a meeting with that guy, uh, that doctor who was in charge. And then he brought in the head infectious disease doctor to meet with me in Charlotte and I said, um, so I started giving the data and then that infectious disease doctor is like, Dr. Benton, like people get really sick in the hospital with the flu. And I'm like, but me getting a flu vaccine has nothing to do with them. I feel sorry for them. I'll send them prayers, but me getting a flu vaccine has nothing to do with them. And then this director guy says, but you know, my son spent a month and a half in the hospital from the flu. He got really sick. I'm like, I'm so sorry for your anecdote. I literally <laughs> said that. I'm so sorry for your anecdote. <laughs> and, I was like, and he's like, but what's your problem with wearing the face mask? I was like, it's coercive. It's controlling. Per the CDC and the WHO for decades, there's no science behind other people, healthy people wearing a face mask. Decades of science saying this. Exactly. And I was like, 
He's like, but the ICU nurses were without problems. Like the ICU nurses went in there into the room for like five minutes, did the little thing. And they stepped out and they're out of their desk, happily working without a mask. Me, I'm a family physician being punished, having to sit here. I'm already, it's funny. I was about six feet away from the patient because of how they set up the desk versus the, um, you know, the setup of the clinic, you know, they were like very far away from me as I'm sitting on the computer. So I'm, I'm like across the room from my patient, I'm healthy and I'm wearing a face mask. Meanwhile, if you get a flu vaccine, you don't have to wear a face mask and you're sitting there coughing on people, right? Do you remember like, if as long as you had the flu shot, you didn't have to wear a face mask, even if you got sick, but me, well, I had to wear a face mask. I had, that was, I had no clue at that point where that face mask thing was going to go. So anyway, he's like, listen, he said, actually, he says, well, you did come well prepared with studies. I'm like, I'm still waiting on yours. <laughs> yes. I'm still waiting on your study. He's like, listen, you're just going to have to do it because this is the government wanting us to do it. And you're just going to have to comply. Like, good luck with that. So that was near the beginning of the end for me. And then finally, this is after this. This is November, like in 2014, that's when the whole Wakefield, um, the whistleblower, the William Thompson whistleblower came out in November. And that for me, when that came out, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Like I am, this is not just the flu vaccine. This is bigger than just the flu vaccine. I am working, I was working like 50 some hours a week with three kids at home, barely able to get by. It's like, I, I don't have time to study right now, but I know there's some malfeasance across the board at this point. And that was just for our listeners. If you're, if you're new to this whole conversation, uh, Thompson was the whistleblower inside the CDC that, te- that admitted they had destroyed evidence that some of the, I think it was the MMR, was it the MMR, MMR. that they were looking at that the MMR vaccine was contributing they had the evidence that it was contributing to a diagnosis of autism in black children and they shredded and hid the evidence is that a 240 percent increase in autism when given the vaccine prior to 36 months of age now it was present across all age groups but it was worse among black kids now hello experimentation on minority populations here in this country is not new right yeah. And the silencing, the, the lack of concern is not new. And and just as a little aside for those readers, you know, the listeners, like they've literally studied thimerosal and MMR, two studies to say vaccines don't cause autism. And in that MMR study, it did in fact show it caused autism. They just got rid of the data. So just so you know, there are no studies that show the vaccines do not cause autism. There are actually, in contrary to that, many studies that show vaccines can and do cause autism and it shows the mechanism with which it causes autism so that was my i can't i can't be in the system with such lies that was november 2014 and then come december it was december 31st of 2014 we the cdc announced that it was only the that the flu vaccine was only 19 percent effective so I said, dear Dr. Blank, I I don't know. Yeah, I was like, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I don't know if you heard. I mean, it's like I remember the, the whole email. I don't know if you heard that the vaccine, the flu vaccine is only 19% effective. Now, I know how you, much you care about patient safety. So <laughs> I'm wondering now if you're going to make everyone wear a face mask since no one's protected. It is about patient safety, right? Happy New Year. <laughs> Dr. Benton, my sisters over there are like, why are you doing this? I was like, I hope they get rid of me. I want a severance package. You know, <laughs> they, they were like, because they can't fire you over the truth, 
right? They can't fire oh. over the truth. So, um, so anyway, that Monday they announced a big important meeting for the clinic, which is my departure. No. <laughs> so they gave me a nice severance package. You know, I had just, and, and actually I couldn't even ask for any better. I had already gotten paid January 1st. This is January 5th. So I already got paid and then walked out January 5th, but I had three months severance package. Plus I got a year end bonus. I made uh, the best money I'd made. I was able to actually study vaccines five days a week, six hours a day. And then I did yoga in the middle of that for four months before I started my next job. And I was, that was God gifted me that time I needed. So like through my children's vaccine reactions, through my personal experience as a patient on the patient end, and through the experience on the professional end, through my experience, through the government, I was able to see the truth. And then seeing, once I dived into everything, I'm like, the truth is right in front of us. All the information we need to know is on the FDA website, the MMWR, the CDC website. As I, I was like, now, granted, I got a lot of stuff from Green Med Info and the Natural News. You know, I, there were those kind of rogue natural sites, you know, but really everything that they list too go back to the, they list the studies for the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, you know, and I was like, what? And then, so that, then I actually made little books. I was like, so innocent and naive. So I made these little booklets to take to my colleagues and stacks. They were like big stacks of studies back in the day before I even knew. I said, I'm so bad at technology. I probably could have done PDFs at that point and didn't even know how to do it. So, mm -hmm. but I made little books and I, and I gave it to colleagues. And I, even then one of them, I, she's a holistic doctor, nice, nice human, but I think she just has not gone down this rabbit hole. Even after that, like a few years later after that, she's like, so are you saying that you don't even give the flu vaccine? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Did you <laughs> oh my God. Like Less. that point was the worst until we got the COVID vaccine. That and the HPV were like the worst, you know, and then actually I say that, but there's just so much the worst that people just don't even understand right now. And if you're still questioning, like, how do you find this information? There's a couple books to, to read. One is called Dissolving Illusions mm -hmm. uh, by Suzanne Humphrey. She's an MD. And then there's a new one out called Turtles All the Way Down. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one's fantastic. It's got Zoe O'Toole and Mary Holland. Um, so Turtles All the Way Down. And if you need something that's less sciencey but more conversational, Bob Sears had that one. It's called A Tale of Two Sides. Yes is written very much in story form because so if science kind of intimidates you he gives the this via stories of his experiences then it's very easy light reading actually for it to be such a heavy topic he manages to turn it into very digestible information and he does a great job i think it's true informed consent he gives a great great job of like yeah like he had a kid in there who got um the hip meningitis Here's the data behind the hip meningitis. Here's the risk and benefits of getting the disease versus getting the vaccine. Like it is a beautiful, he did a beautiful job of that. So it's actually under John Philip Ryan. That was his pen name. But then he's like, screw it. I'm, and when COVID came, I was like, screw it. I'm coming out. Like that was me. It was yeah. like years. So um, those are, I mean, there's still many more books. And then if you're like, but what do you do? There is uh, the unvaccinated, the, the unvaccinated child, a treatment guide 
book mm-hmm. that goes into all the different diseases and how you can actually treat it naturally. So there are so many, and that's just a top off, off the top of my head. There's so many amazing resources out there, but those are some, I would say dissolving illusions is one of those paradigm shifters where, you know, I gave it, I, if I can get a doctor to read that, they can never turn back. Um, I had a pediatrician, she's a intern, when she reached out to me, someone said, reach out to Dr. Benton and I talked to her reading that book. She wrote me back a month and a half later. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been red pilled. And <laughs> I don't know how much, do I quit? Do I, I was like, no, you don't quit. We need you on our side. Yeah. I said, we need you to go through and be brave. And if you have to play the game until you get on the other side, because we need you on our side. And that poor girl because she had woken up to it. She didn't get the COVID vaccine. She was the only one in her whole program who didn't get the COVID vaccine. She had to watch lectures from another room from the other residents that were vaccinated because she was such a danger to them. Yet she could go, she could go see patients. She could go around, but she was not safe enough. She was too dangerous to sit in the same room to take lectures from. This is the ridiculous nature. So she's been firsthand the truth going through the program. I I don't even know if I had, if I had to go back to med school right now, that kicked me out right away. <laughs> I don't think they would like, I would, I'd be like, bullshit, 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 because it's not just the vaccines. The thing is that people think it's not just the vaccines. It's the statins. It's um, yep. basically they've have written tons of books on the corruption of our studies. And they would even now there's this phenomenon where they will have a different conclusion in yes. the NIH, the PubMed studies than what's actually in the body. Like for instance, one was a study on VARES and SIDS, the VARES data and SIDS deaths. And in the conclusion, it was like, a, I can't remember the years, it studied it from like 2011, 2016. Don't hold me to those details, but it's something like that. And the conclusion says no correlation was found between SIDS and the vaccines. But in the body, it said 79% of children who die from SIDS had one or more vaccines the same day. Yes. Um, We've seen that. We've seen that. um, Yeah. Not with this, but. Avermectin. Yeah. They did that with Avermectin. You know, the whole Andrew Hill, when he was helping with that meta-analysis, like the whole study showed that Avermectin was working and, but the conclusion said, there's not enough evidence. We definitely need to do more. So this, that's what everybody goes on. You know, is all the physicians around the world. That's like, that was like the pivotal moment that could have been pivotal in the other direction. And right. The time that it takes to, to dive in through this, you know, in, in defense of some of these people, and I've, I've been guilty of the same thing. Me too. That, Me too. Yeah. I go to the conclusion and just say, well, what did they decide? And then it, it does take the time and the, the, the understanding that you should go back and look at the actual evidence because the conclusions are often not supported by the actual evidence in these papers. And also, let's think about Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the most, uh, one of our favorite guests too. Um, He's amazing. He's a hero. He's He's such a hero. hero. And we we love him so much. And um, he, being one of the most peer-reviewed cardiologists ever, in the history of ever, and this man, they have come after his license. They have removed him from, he sat on editorial boards of these journals and they have removed him. And then they put out, we're so sorry to see him leave, but they're behind the scenes sending him just an email that says, we don't need you anymore. And this is what's happening to the doctors who have the courage to follow the actual science. And it's just like what Cami said, 
when you have someone who is, you know, still in medical school being ostracized for, for not complying, that what they're creating from the time you're in school and you're even thinking about taking, you know, the, the what is the MCAT? You're, you're even thinking about applying. You're already being taught to perform, to perform, to get the grade, to, to be a good student over being a good questioner and a good leader. And that's not to say there's not good leader doctors because certainly Cammie's one of them and we have been so blessed to know so many of them. But please, if we can change anything in our culture, I think Kristen and Amy and I would say, beyond just teaching you to think, it would be stop worshiping medical professionals, okay? Because they've gotten you in trouble. Some of them have gotten you in trouble. It, go look in your medicine cabinets and just look at how many drugs you're on right now. For many of you, it's way too many. And, and it's this idea that if the doctor says, my doctor said, my doctor said, how many people did you, you could present evidence, just like Cami said, you can give them the evidence and show this, that the COVID vaccine was not efficacious. And yet they'll say, but my doctor said, but my doctor said, heart patients, this is the other crazy thing. And then I'll shut up. But heart <laughs> patients being told to get the COVID vaccine when we know now the heart damage is done. And yet the doctors are saying, no, but if you got COVID, it would be worse. When actually the evidence shows getting COVID is not worse for your heart than the vaccine. I believe that's the same, the same for immunocompromised people. They know that the exactly. immunocompromised don't mount antibody responses. Yeah, they're telling everyone who's immunocompromised, they must get it. So they basically get all the risk and none of the benefit that, that could be there. Um, if you're on a transplant list, you're going to die unless you get that COVID vaccine because they're not going to give you this organ transplant. No matter how impaired you are, heart transplant, whatever, you've got to get that COVID vaccine. That's absolutely experimental. I mean, I, I, I'm just like, even included in they weren't even included in the clinical trials. People with cancer, immunocompromised, pregnant women, they weren't included. And then right. they are the ones that the, those are the priority people. Right. They were giving it to that you were in the experiment. Right. And side note, I know we need to keep going, Cami, but like another one was the miscarriage, the, the study with miscarriages. You know, you go to the conclusion and it says, oh, it's the same. But if you actually go back and look at it, um, it was like an 82% increase in miscarriages because they were saying, they were claiming that the miscarriages, um, less miscarriages happened, but they weren't even given in the first trimester. They were using the people that they gave it to in the last trimester. So you can't have a miscarriage in the last trimester. So right. oh, they explained it really well on, I'll, I'll put that link in the sub stack with, um, on the high wire with Dell Bigtree. They had a great like 10 minute episode just explaining it all. Yeah. Right. So you look at all that data and, and even like, like you said, they, they said healthy people, even with healthy people, you know, you had to like, was it uh, seriously harm over 250 people to prevent one hospitalization you know, and you're like, not even death, hospitalization. And I think in the alpha delta variant, it might have decreased hospitalization compared, but even then they used the data prior to the vaccine rollout to pad their data for the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. But then there was a 23% increase in all cause mortality in the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated group. So even if we prevented you from being hospitalized and maybe prevented death from COVID, we killed you with heart attacks and strokes and blood clots. Yep. That's right. Well, you know, remember this, Cami, and this is kind of just an aside, but to, to, to prove your point that this isn't just vaccines. Remember a couple of years back, I remember seeing it, it was on CNN that reported it, 
that um, proton pump inhibitors, that there was an increased risk of all cause mortality of like 20 some percent in people who stayed on proton pump inhibitors long-term. And I was one of those people that the doctor told me I, I might just have to be on them for the rest of my life. By the way, did not, because I have natural mm -hmm. healing. I figured it out myself, okay? <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, it, it, we can't, <laughs> I hate to say it because I'm so thankful for doctors and I'm thankful for modern medicine and so emergency medicine, especially, right? When you have an emergency, you can, hopefully someone can save your life. But the, the problem is guys, is that our methods of cure have also become causes of disease. And you're unaware. You're just so unaware. Why, with all the medical advancements in the world, and we can't just blame it on just food. We cannot just blame it on just food, although that's a big problem. And lifestyle and all those things. There is this element of modern medicine that is contributing to, for the first time in what? I don't, I can't, it's the first time in years and years and years, our life expectancy is decreased. Ever. First time ever. 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 Right. Mm. So aren't they saying that it takes like 20 years for like once something is actually proven to actually downstream itself into the policy or into the healthcare systems? It's like about a 20 year gap. Um, so all these things that we already may know are successful and work and all these things, like you're you're talking two decades before your doctor's probably gonna recommend it to you. Well, it's kind of like SIBO, for instance, small intestinal bacterial yeah. overgrowth, if you ever heard of SIBO. It's um, one of the most common causes of irritable bowel syndrome or IBS and functional medicine providers have been treating it for a couple of decades now successfully. But when I learned about it back is around the same time, probably back about 2013, I learned about SIBO and I was trying to treat it, but it's considered quackery to the local GI doctors. So people are starting to come to see me so they can get treatment for SIBO because their GI doctors don't believe in it. Well, suddenly I was watching a, we were watching the Super Bowl a couple years later, and they had our Afaximin commercial for SIBO, suddenly is being more accepted by GI doctors, I guess, because it made a commercial a mainstream, so it must not be quackery anymore. So it took a Super Bowl commercial to shift some of the behaviors of the GI doctors. Right. Or is there a medicine? That's probably probably a medicine to treat it. That's probably well, there. There is there is a very it's like fifteen hundred bucks. It's super expensive. Well, right. like the microbiome, like we've twenty years. Right. You know, it's microbiome talk is not new to a lot of people. However, doctors, mainstream doctors, are just now recognizing that that's that now. part of our health. Right. Exactly. That's exactly all that it takes forever for it to make to trickle down, and then uh, you look at the studies too. If you think about medical journals. How they make money is through advertisements from pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. They make money when the pharmaceutical rep actually is buying. They have to be able to share to the doctors. They have to pay for article to share to the doctors for their proof. So are they going to share negative articles that don't support their medicine? No. Are they going to share the articles that support their medicine? Or if it maybe puts down some old remedy, old treatment that is not as effective, they might share that one. So that's how they make money. Mm -hmm. And so they don't make money putting down, like going back to natural things. No one makes money off the of natural things. Mm -hmm. In spite of the fact that if you read mainstream news, we're apparently getting rich off of the people doing natural remedies, you know, which is hilarious because I make a fraction of the income I used to make, you know, because, you know, my job, the word doctor means to teach. If I teach you, and, and I had people leave me when I first started practicing, when I started teaching about the difference between a cold and a sinus infection, and they'll get mad at me for not just giving them their Z-Pack. I'm like, 
Let me teach you how to treat it. And they're like, I just want the pill. You just want my money. I'm like, no, actually the opposite. I can actually give you your Z-Pack and get you out the door and actually charge a higher level of care for sinusitis because it's more complex, you know, than a cold, spend more time, talk to you and teach you how to never see me again. There's nothing about what I do that says, oh, I'm going to get rich off of you. Right. That's it. That's right. because of the way that you practice, Cami. And you were one of the first doctors we ever heard say this. You said, my goal is to not see my patients again. My goal is to teach them how to live healthily so they don't have to come back. Mm-hmm. And that's the heart of a, of a true practitioner that, that we want to see more of. And I know that you'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit too, about how you're trying to um, break the system in a way, right? To re, re, I would say you want to change the system. I'm kind of of the mindset personally that it's almost like the old wineskins analogy, which you can't put new wine in old wineskins. I almost feel like we have to just do a whole other to change because we're we are so wrapped in, and the current system is so wrapped into um, the pharmaceutical companies and insurance, and 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 the and then you have your governmental agencies that are just all working towards the wrong things that regulatory capture is the word regulatory capture. And so we, we're not, they're working for money, not for health at this point as a whole. And so to change it, it's almost like we have to establish something totally new. Um, But before we talk about that, because we got to make sure we plug that before this conversation is over. Will you walk us through some of the things that I think our listeners don't know um, about the flu vaccines and the adjuvants that are in vaccines and why that can, it's not just about giving you immunity to a disease. There's more that comes with it. Can you, can you talk about some of that? Absolutely. I've got my slideshow right here, but just real quick on what you were saying. I agree. We can't be a part of tearing down the old. Actually, they're eating each other alive. If you actually go to physician groups, they're eating each other alive. They're the nasty, like, not all doctors are this way, obviously, like there's really good humans out there. But if you look online, it's like they're like, you know, they're eating each other. So we are here to create the new medical system. And so then when people get tired of the old system, they have a place to go. And this mm-hmm. is where I'm trying to get out of the fight. You know, yeah. I was like, I can't fight them anymore. It's too it destroys your own soul. Yes. How can we create the new? How can we create the awareness that there needs to be a new? So this is what we're doing. And we'll, and I know you guys will plug the Compass Integrative Health is our new medical system that we're trying to create that's truly compassion-based, truly integrated with acupuncture, chiropractic, you know, PMF, energy, frequency healing, spiritual healing, and for the acute care, because there's wellness centers across the country, but we need this for the acute care so people don't die again alone, or babies are not separated from their mothers because of a, some illness. You know, this is where we're going to, we're we're going to revolutionize what health care is, healing care is, and and we're going to do this in a way that we are we're trying to make sure it's not for the elite. Again, I grew up poor, so I don't want this just to be for the wealthy. So we have right. a nonprofit, we have a for-profit. So we are taking donations at Compass Integrative Health, uh, Compass Integrative, compassintegrative.com. But we're also in the process of making the investor packet. So that's another story, but uh, you know, listeners, check that out. Uh, we could totally use donations because it's helping us how to get He's resources. Yeah. So yeah, thank you ladies for, for that too. So I've got the... 
the slideshow. Are y'all able to see that? Yeah, we see it. Okay, cool. So, and I'll probably just focus on the flu vaccines. The aluminum adjuvant um, information's on there. That's, I mean, I could talk for days and weeks and months probably on all this stuff. So, um, some of the stuff I, I'm a, I'm, excuse me, I'm a founding board member on Physicians for Informed Consent out of California since its inception in 2015. And they, our job is to offer education. So we have a nice education page and it goes over measles, the MMR, influenza, COVID, you know, adjuvants, the immunocompromised, because people say, but what about the immunocompromised? You got to get vaccinated for them. And so it gives you the data about that and the discussion, like for instance, if you're really that immunocompromised, their risks are even simple colds. You know, there's, they have risks for other diseases that there are no vaccines for, but most of our vaccines really don't decrease transmission rate either. So you getting it does not necessarily mean that someone else isn't. Um, and then there's information even about measles. Yeah, measles vaccine definitely works. There's no doubt it dramatically reduced the rash, but with there's a 96% decrease or 98% decrease in mortality anyway from measles prior to the vaccine. So, mm. and then if we had just targeted this last few people with like, for instance, high-dose vitamin A, we know that high-dose vitamin A reduces death from measles by 80%. And that's per a World Health Organization study. So we're mass vaccinating really to prevent, you know, a rash. And, and not to say that some people don't have bad outcomes. There, there is encephalitis. There are some tragic things with it, but there are also tragic things from the vaccine that you have to balance. And you get to choose, you should be able to choose, do I choose something synthetic put in my body that can give me the encephalitis or do I go you hedge my best against nature, working on my immune system and doing cod liver oil and hydrous vitamin A if I were to get it, right? So you have options. We should always have options for our bodies. Now, I'm not telling anyone to not get the vaccine. It's your right. But for me, now that, well, of course, now that my kids were all vaccine injured, I've spent tens of thousands of like trying to recover them. You know, I would be like, I'll hedge my bets for the actual risk of infection, especially like hepatitis B, which you get through sex and IV drugs, right. the babies right. are not being vaccinated for. Like that's just a, anyway, so the PIC uh, or Physicians for Informed Consent is a great resource for that. So it stay is, tuned, there's more and more people. Go on, I want people to know how important that website, your, your Instagram and the website, they have excellent, excellent. And it is like, it's for lay people too. Like, like for everybody to understand, it's like, user-friendly like it's like the cliff notes of like of explaining everything to y'all do a great job mm -hmm. follow them on instagram get on their um, newsletters and just save that as a great resource for you so i just wanted to like you know validate what you're saying and not just like speed past that without really saying how how great it is oh yeah. thank you and we are always looking for volunteers to help us on the social media part so if anyone else out there feels really compelled like we could always use uh, volunteers to help us uh, manage that page because we have to manage the trolls that come on too. Yes. Uh, oh. in, a, in a professional way. <laughs> I was about to say, you could put me on the trolls, but then you said saying. in a professional way. So I'm like, never mind. We need a professional, <laughs> troll, professional <laughs> troll manager. <laughs> right. We need a professional troll manager. Right. So it's, uh, so I'm really thankful for the volunteers that we've had too. And Shira Miller, who's been a tireless like leader. She's been the president since then. And you know, she doesn't get paid. I mean, she's honestly, I'm kind of more of a figurehead. Like I've I've been so fighting locally that like I'm kind of just on the board, but she has really created this whole amazing group. So I'm 
full of gratitude for her. So um, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this. I'm I'm doing all this so my kids don't have to fight like what we're having to. Like we can't give in because these kids I've I've invested too much in them spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally than to have them go grow up to not be able to get a driver's license, get a college education, get married, have children without being forced vaccinated. So um and I and I'll go through these kind of fast because I know you're going to post this um after on your site. So I recommend people check this out. But you know, remember people saying, oh, I always get sick after the flu. You know, and the doctor says, oh, no, you don't really get sick after the flu. You, it must have been coincidence or you must have already gotten a little bit sick and it just declared itself after you got the vaccine. You, we've all heard that. I was trained to say that. Right. So here it is. A 65 percent increased risk of, risk of suffering from a non-flu acute respiratory infection within 14 days of receiving the vaccine. This was a CDC three year study published in the journal Vaccine. But we're being trained to gaslight you, to tell you it's all in your head. And more than 85% of respiratory illness is not even the flu anyway. So we're targeting a small section of flu. And the other thing I remembered learning too is that, oh, an entire city of people die from the flu every year. You know, when I was in training, it was 30,000, then it became 60,000, then became 80,000. And that was the other thing I realized too on the CDC website, it lumps in all cause pneumonia with flu. Oh, yep. That's how they inflate the numbers. Same with COVID. Same with you go into now. So this is all caused pneumonia with like they could have COPD, they could have HIV, they could have cancer, they could have whatever variety of diseases, underlying infection, uh, underlying illnesses that cause the pneumonia. But they include a flu with that. So when you go in the National Vital Statistics records on the CDC website really about an, an average of a thousand to 3000 people a year die from the flu. So it was kind of fascinating. One of my most um, extreme, that had one of the most extreme, like they're all extreme now. It feels like one of the residents I went to school with, nice guy, otherwise, um, he was one who had said to me that, you know, because now kind of aside, you know, for the listeners out there, when my mom was little. She had about 10 doses of vaccines. I'm 49. I had like 24 doses of vaccines. Now kids have 24 doses of vaccines by six months of age, 46 doses by six years of age, 70 plus doses by 18, right? So when I had posted that, this doctor has said 49, 46 doses is not enough to stamp out all the infectious diseases. We need more vaccines for all. And you're like, do you not know anything about like harmony with the environment, your gut microbiome, your health. No. So, and this guy was educated in very good universities, like top, like Ivy League universities. So, um, so I forgot, I I lost my track on that one. So, um, shoot. So anyway, well, the childhood vaccines anyway, is, is, it goes crazy. And so you think, um, you know, where was I on that? I was like, you were talking, you were talking about the average a thousand a year flu death with the national vital statistics and stuff. So yeah. I don't know if that, yeah, yeah. I'll get back off of that. I don't even know why I got on that side just because I just get fired up. Anyway, I get fired up. Anyway. So basically we're not dying from the flu. All right. We're just not dying from the flu. And I don't know where I was going to go with it. It'll come back to me later, probably tonight laying in bed. <laughs> anyway, send it to me. I'll throw it in the sub stack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, 
but you know, clearly it's got to at least decrease hospitalization with how they push it, right? And so this is the NIH study, a Cochrane review, a Mayo Clinic review. It does not prevent hospitalizations. I mean, they studied, these are big, big studies. It does not decrease hospitalizations. Um, and in children, they actually found a threefold increased risk of hospitalizations in subjects who did get the inactivated vaccine. Wow. Oh. Wow. Right? This is a Mayo Clinic case control study. Um, it at least decreases transmission, right? Nope. No. CDC study, Cochrane uh, database. You know, no, it does not even decrease transmission rate. So you getting it does not prevent me from getting it. If, if it does decrease the severity, which I don't have evidence of that either, it, if anything, it's going to make you more likely to then spread disease without realizing that's what you have. That's, you know, if that's what it does, because it does not decrease your uh, transmission. So the, um, the CDC supports the fact that there are flu vaccine failures and they have to guess in advance. And they, even they found that repeat doses may increase the failure. So if you get it two years in a row, you actually have a higher risk of getting it. Um, and so before the widespread use of influenza vaccines, um, the children have a risk of 0.00008% chance of dying from the flu. Mm. So is this where we need to be putting our efforts? I don't think no. so. No. Um, unless they have high risk condition. Doesn't mean that no one dies. People do die. But anyway, and the adults um, see... So the Department of Health and Human Services funded a study over 33 years to assess mortality. They couldn't correlate increasing vaccination coverage after 1980 with declining mortality in any age group. Oh, it doesn't, it didn't, it didn't help. It didn't let's help. keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> didn't help. So NIH, same thing. 7.6 million deaths analyzed. There's no change once they really started pushing vaccination and hospitalization or mortality. This is all government data. Wow. What about the healthcare workers? Well, you got to get health. If you want to be responsible as a nurse or a doctor, you must get it. Same mm -hmm. thing. This is a review of 30 studies. No significant benefit to healthcare workers getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, because, we, we know, it doesn't decrease transmission rate. Exactly. Right? Hello. And then they're talking about, um, of course, I did this early on during the, the pandemic, but the just talks about the mandates being so important for a co, uh, coronavirus. But you see here, there's if you vaccinate for the flu, especially while we're in this, there's a 36% increased risk of coronavirus. This is an old study prior to the whole COVID thing. Oh my wow. God. Now, of course, now magically, flu disappeared during the pandemic, uh -huh. like, like zero yeah. cases. Why yeah. was that? So, Cami, just tell the listeners. They're baffled. They're baffled. Well, the experts are baffled. But this is a question that we get. So I want Cami to answer this. Why did the flu disappear in 2020? My thing is a combination of things. I think um, the COVID testing did not differentiate between the flu and COVID. I mean, right. we know that now. Uh, there was, they were even trying to come up with, even Bill Gates bought a uh, new company trying to come up with a more specific one anyway. Something, I don't know. There's some crazy stuff with the testing. You, we know the PCR testing turned out to be a total just, just, mm. just yeah. flop, right? Yeah. Um, but then also, I think people were staying home. They were afraid to see each other. Like I think there was true, there was some benefit to the social distancing and people 
not seeing each other the holidays, I think that did decrease spread. Now, people end up committing suicide and having severe depression and having other heart broken heart, like heart related illnesses, dying in isolation. Now we just killed off the rest of them, but you know, they didn't get the flu. <laughs> you know, being that only the flu only died, like, you know, like one to 3000 year die from the flu, you know, you know, it's all like, yeah. So I think there was something to be said for people not leaving their house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sad, yeah. tragic. Very. Um, and so then this goes into the aluminum adjuvants. It, it's worth the reader, uh, the listeners looking at this, but like aluminum. Okay. So basically the overall is that aluminum, they say is safe for us, but really there are not tons of studies to show there. There's not studies to show its safety. Um, and they actually say to limit it because it can be trigger immune responses. And something that has happened um, in that increase in vaccination among kids since 1986 for the listeners in 1986, they passed a law, the National Vaccine uh, Childhood Injury Act, to uh, prevent you from suing the drug company. So it gave full immunity to liability for vaccine makers. So that's when they tripled the vaccine schedule. And since that time, there's been a dramatic increase of autoimmune diseases, Crohn's, colitis, type 1 diabetes, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, and aluminum adjuvants we know can trigger the immune response. And you can't control if someone has an under immune response or an over immune response or the perfect immune response, right? Mm-hmm. So these are some of the many ones that contain aluminum. Uh, and some of them, like the HBV one actually has a pretty high dose of aluminum adjuvant solution. And interesting, the um, Mary Holland wrote a book, um, the HPV, the vaccine on trial, the HPV, HPV vaccine on trial. And it goes into a lot of the squirrely data about how they literally, the this one of the studies they used to support HPV, they used half the amount of aluminum adjuvant in the HPV vaccine that's not even used in that amount in actual vaccines. They gave the normal amount in the placebo, but mm. the placebo actually, can, which is commonly in all these vaccine studies, it contains the aluminum adjuvant solution is their idea of a placebo. Placebo should be a in, truly inert substance that you use but they're not, they're using all the other crap, the formaldehyde, the aluminum, the- Like repeat that for everybody because I just learned this. Like I literally just learned this like within the past few months that placebo trials actually, yeah, yeah, I mean, I did not even, I didn't know that. So the placebos, so for the listeners, the placebos should be an inert substance, something that does not elicit any response at all. Like you can put it, it's like a sugar pill. Mm -hmm. And, but- Instead, almost almost all vaccine studies use either another vaccine that's unrelated, like meningitis or something like that, or they use an aluminum adjuvant solution. And if you look at the excipient list on the CDC, they've got monkey kidney cells, they've got beef heart, they've got you know, they've got casein, they've got soy, they've got you know they've they've got a whole bunch of stuff, like said formaldehyde. And the aluminum, again, if you think about, because we know it elicits an immune response, right? Think about all the food allergies that have happened. If we if we are putting this in with other food-like substances as casein, soy, those kind of things, think about all the food allergies that we have in children today. Did mm-hmm. we create that? Was this part of what? I'm not sure it's not the only one. Is this one of the contributors to the serious food allergies that we have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't see how it cannot be related to that. And even the Vero kidney cells, if you look at Vero cells, V-E-R-O, that one actually, we know, it says on the CC website that we can't control how much it grows and it can actually get out of control and cause cancer. We know it's actually a carcinogen that is in our vaccines. Mm. You can actually look on the CDC excipient list of the fact that Vero cells are there. That's why, and when you look at the inserts, it's not studied for carcinogenicity. It's not studied for infertility. It's not studied for these things. They don't want to look. Mm-hmm. Right. Can't right. find what you're not looking for. That's what Dr. Cole, Cole always says. Yep. <laughs> right. I, I will say someone's always, I don't know who, who it was that said, once you look at the vaccine insert, you probably won't uh, go back to thinking the way you used to. <laughs> and it's overwhelming. It is it's overwhelming to read the data. And you're like, no. And, and again, that's also why doctors are trained not to look at the inserts. I, I heard over and over again, don't look at the inserts. It's just lawyer jargon. It's C-Y- oh my gosh. They told you not to look at the inserts as the doctor? That is standard. That is so mind-blowing to me. And I, I do think of Dr. McCullough who I know at one point over the pandemic was not anti-flu vaccine, but as of the last six months has become anti-flu vaccine. He's now speaking out saying, my eyes have been opened, you know, and it, it is, it's like you said, Kami, it's such, there's such cognitive dissonance happening in all of us in a variety of different ways. We're so afraid to think differently than we've thought before or to acknowledge that we put our children in harm's way or ourselves in harm's way. So there's like our brains don't want to accept, but we have to be open to the idea that what we have done is not optimal. And in fact, perhaps very, very harmful. When you um, know better, you do better. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our mindset. And that's what we've got to be like. And, and and for the nurses and pharmacists out there administering these vaccin- yeah. vaccines, yeah. you you don't know, you need to know what's in them. Like you're, we, are, we are supposed to know what we are giving to our patients. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't administer the pediatric vaccines, but we gave DTAP and stuff in the ER, you know, and then, and we gave rabies and all the things. And we didn't read the whole entire insert. I should have. You Kristen, know? Well, well, how did, tell me, tell me, Kristen, how did the informed consent go for you? I'm sure the same thing for me, right? Right. It was like, you we would say, well, if them. you don't, if you don't get it, you can get you know, lockjaw, and you never know if you're going to get it. Like, it's just that fear, like, you don't know. So you kind of have to do it. And we could say, yeah, you can refuse. But I mean, I couldn't make them. But that was just what we always said. No, you have to get it. No, you have to get it. No, you have to get it. Well, you know, you just have to get it. And you you don't get the risk and benefits, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's safe. You might have a little fever, a little sore arm. What are you afraid of a little sore arm? Are you afraid of a needle? <laughs> yeah. It's so coercive, though. And it's repeated, like, when my husband uh, cut his leg open a few years ago, and you know this was pre-COVID, and he, I knew the truth about a lot of this stuff, and he had heard me talk, but he had not researched for himself. So he's in the hospital, and I'm going, "Do not get tetanus vaccine. Do mm. not get." And he was like, "Okay, they've asked me like three times. Said, <laughs> you keep saying no." He goes, "But they keep keep." saying no. And so I'm trying to walk him through the science of why it wouldn't matter, you know, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be calm and assure him that I'm not going to let him die or get locked jaw. But, but he was asked no less than five times. By the time he got asked on the fifth time, he's like, what do they have to gain by me getting this stupid shot? Like, check mark, a check mark on the quad of care metrics. 
mm-hmm. for the insurance companies and for the hospital. But, you know, I got the same speaking of coercion, another coercion oh, story. When I was uh, pregnant with my third child, now they had just started, uh, my oldest is 14. They were still kind of pushing the uh, flu vaccine a little bit then. Um, but then by my third child, they were really hard and heavy pushing the flu vaccine during pregnancy. And so the doctor came in, I was seeing mostly midwives, but I had to see the doctor because I ended up with C-sections. That's another, that's a whole other story <laughs> um, that I should never even had those C-sections. But uh, anyway, so she's like, oh, you got to get the flu shot. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to decline. Thank you. And I just honestly wasn't in there for the fight. I fight all the time. I didn't feel like fighting her. She wasn't my regular <laughs> doctor anyway. And she's like, well, you've got to get it. I'm like, no, I don't have to get it. It's not, there's not enough studies. There's no studies to show it's safe. She's like, you're a famous physician. It is irresponsible for you to oh, not get this vaccine. And I'm like, actually, I think it's kind of irresponsible for you to try to push a vaccine on me. That's actually not been studied. In fact, it says not proven safer efficacious in pregnancy or breastfeeding. Are you going to call the 1-800 number for the surveillance line that they have listed in the insert mm. as you give me the study? And she's like, do you want your kid to get autism? Because if you don't get this flu shot, your kid's going to get autism. What? I'm like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I thought autism was only genetic and had no environmental impact. Right. That was a big jump. Right. Right. That was me. And I was, I was sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, like my kid's going to get autism now because I'm not going to get the flu shot. Wow. So that was me as a physician in my experience as like the patient, could you imagine what other mothers go through the harassment? Now there's not just flu, there's flu, there's Tdap, there's um, the COVID vaccine. And then they're trying to come out with even more. And even the Tdap is for like, they're just pushing it for pertussis, which again, does not increase. It does not decrease transmission rate. That one theoretically does make you have more like a cold. So you're more likely to transmit it to the baby. And actually they also, in their safety studies, they excluded all the deaths out of the results. They're like, they removed the stillbirths, they removed the, they removed all these deaths and say, oh, it's so safe. When in actuality, there was an increased death rate in the study for the Tdap. Oh my God. Well, that happened to my my cousin. Um, and again, kind of back to your point of God, you your your eyes are open. God will put things in your path to open your eyes if you're willing. And my cousin did not want to get the flu vaccine, five months gestation, did not want it. Her husband and her doctor wanted her to have it and they kept pushing it. She conceded, two days later, lost the baby. And they did all the studies to try to find out why there was no cord wrap, there was no, no nothing. And her doctor, to his credit, finally did admit he did believe it was the vaccine. And well, I wonder if they reported it. Probably not, probably yeah. not. Probably not, because honestly, that's another thing, ladies, is that I didn't even know about reporting the VAERS. The few times that I saw a definite, before I really woke up, a definite correlation to a vaccine, we tried to report it to the vaccine maker. And my RN reported to the vaccine maker because I didn't know where to report it. And the vaccine makers all responded, oh, thank you for reporting. We don't see the connection. So we're not going to count this, but thank you. Oh, my God. So they we didn't even know. They don't want to know. They don't want we to know. About, we didn't even know about VAERS. And even I didn't learn about VAERS until after my oldest had her very serious neurologic reactions until about a year later. And then, of course, you're seeing all the, when you read about VAERS online, even the COVID came and they're like, but VAERS isn't real. You know, VAERS is all like, I had my, 
even integrative doctor friends um, were saying, oh, the anti-vaxxers are abusing VAERS. If people knew how hard it is to actually do reports on VAERS, it it actually takes so much effort. And the majority of actually the reports are due to nurses and uh, doctors. But even per a study, it's called the Lazarus study uh, by Harvard, actually, the CDC actually asked for, they actually found that only 1% of adverse events are even reported to VAERS. And then when they came to that conclusion, they tried to get the CDC to respond and the CDC just stopped responding and then they just gave up. Like literally look up the Lazarus study. It's very interesting. Like, uh, well, we found this out. They asked for the study. And then when they found out what the answer, they just ignored it. They actually just didn't return. They literally didn't. Climate change. Climate change. Move it on. Move it on. Climate (laughs) change. Right? Well, like. Yeah, I, I mean, this is what I want to talk about too today because I know like the new, the fear du jour um, <laughs> is RSV, which I mean, truly, like if you have a baby or a little kid and, and also flu, like I think people, you know, COVID's kind of, we're, we're a little bored with COVID now. So let's move on and be scared about um, the resurgence of flu and also RSV is exploding. I mean, I don't the really- Tridemic. I heard the word tridemic. Try oh, this oh, oh, okay. Okay. Well, okay. and they're going to have a little try vaccine too. Yeah. So y'all <laughs> stay tuned. But while they're working on a vaccine, fluster. Uh, a fluster with uh <laughs> flu, COVID, RSV, whatever they can fill that vial up with while they're, while they're busy working on that, like what, what can we do to calm parents' nerves? Like with the RSV stuff, right? Like the flu, because you know, when, when you have young kids and they come in there, like start having that cough or whatever, it's like, you do panic a little bit. It mm-hmm. is scary. And we have a friend whose uh, who's kid, I think was hospital, like had to go to the ER for this thing, you know, so it's not like it's not a big deal. Yeah. So we know that kids, that it can be very serious, but I think what we've learned more than anything is to early treatment mm-hmm. and early recognition and awareness and education. And I think we've lost track of all of that because everybody's just like, laser you know like just laser ad on one thing vaccine the vaccine you know yeah and nobody's giving you just things to empower you and and advice and what what works what doesn't all the things so kind of like with covid there is no such thing as treatment your only treatment is a vaccine and then remdesivir that'll kill you same situations they don't tell you how to actually manage the flu the the flu and the rsv the reality is that there's so many easy things you can do easy cheap things you get a hum- humidifiers just keeping the humidity of your room between uh, of your house between 40 to 60 percent can actually decrease virus particles i think it like kind of like bogs down the virus particles so it just makes it less mobile and it also affects the cilia the little hairs inside your respiratory system it, it helps you to have more resilience um, with the humidity so having humidifiers in everyone's room can actually maybe even prevent the issue, having humidifiers at the daycares, like they should be humidifying the rooms to 40, 60%. And you can measure, those are cheap little things you can actually find. And then, um, you know, so that's one thing. Also every day when your kid comes home from the school or daycare, irrigate their sinuses with some good saline. Yep. Easy saline. And if for some reason it's heavy flu or a heavy RSV going on, you can add in some x Lear. It's over the counter. It's a xylitol solution. They even have one with, I can't remember the the brand of it. It's got B propolis and xylitol. And it's like the X layer, but it has some extra goodies in it. 
Um, so you can actually do the nasal. This is where the respiratory viruses enters your nose. So you actually clean out the nose, decrease viral count, then you decrease the likelihood of you getting sick. So those mm. are very easy things. And even when I fly, I will actually do the saline. I'll do the X layer and then some neosporin inside my nose because it kind of captures stuff. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I'll spray it again. And that works well for me. Oh, well, like too. for kids, I was going to say, like when, when we do the X clear, like, do you just like, is it like a squirt squirt? And then should they blow their nose or should they just breathe it in and just go on about their day? Breathe it in, go about their day. And xylitol is like the sugar substitute. So it's sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't even taste that bad. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like with the with the saline, like the instructions will say, you know, do do it and then blow, and then you actually like blow afterwards. I think so. it depends on if you already have a snotty nose or not. Like yeah, if you have a snotty nose, then you might need to blow blow because the saline helps to break down the the snot, mm-hmm. and then that way try to open it up, and then you get it to where it goes down the back of your throat. But if you're doing it for wellness, then you just spray spray and you go about your day. One thing for babies, I wish I would have known this for Riley and Sawyer. I learned about it, I guess, with Knox, the nose Frida. It looks, it's, it looks crazy, scary. People probably want to vomit looking at it, but trust me, you're not sucking their boogers into your mouth. I mean, but literally you put it in there, but it is the best. It was the best freaking thing. It is. I love it. And also the bulb suction from the hospital was always better than anything I could find over the counter. It just seemed to perfectly fit the nose. I can just suck out the nose. Whereas the ones I would buy, like they were too little. And, and what people make the mistake with the bulbs too, is the fact that you should always do first, just digging in there causes trauma to the nose. So just do the saline, a couple drops in little baby's noses and half time they sneeze it out. Mm-hmm. So if you do a couple, like I go, booga, 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 you know, like play with them, make it fun for them. I get booga, booga, and I spray up their nose and we just kind of sit there and eventually they go sneeze it out. And then, then it just, you just suction the rest of it out. And that way it could work its way into it. Super yeah. easy. Yeah. The humidifier and, and sinuses is like the preventative. Is there right. anything on the preventative list? Other preventative things are cod liver oil. Mm-hmm. Good old grandma, you know, making people, you know, they had to do the cod liver oil. For adults, we do have capsules, so we don't have to actually taste it. But, you know, kids, babies can take cod liver oil. You just need to do like an eighth of a dose or eighth or a quarter of a dose daily. And I would do just an eighth of a dose. And then um, when they get sick, step it up to like a quarter of a dose, like two or three times a day, just when they first get sick. Some people also use um, vitamin D3. Um, that's an, it's easy to access. And oh, by the way, for the cod liver oil, I think Rosita brand, as R-O-S-I-T-A, is a good one that is sustainably sourced and doesn't have heavy metals, that kind of thing. It's a good quality. Uh, the vitamin D3, I always tell people to get vitamin D3 with K2 if you're ever going to do vitamin D3, but short-term is good. Long-term, ideally, you just get sunshine and cod liver oil. That's the best way to get your vitamin D up. It's interesting. People with a vitamin D level over 50 did not die from COVID. Hmm. Now, was it just the vitamin D? Was it the fact that they're more physically active and outdoors? They had better health, you know, because vitamin D can be lower due to inflammatory processes in your body. So if you're very inflamed and unhealthy, you might have low vitamin D also due to the inflammation, like eating it up kind of thing. So that's where vitamin D is, I think, still worth doing. There's some controversy over because it's synthetic and what it really does to you long-term, but short-term seems to do the trick. Mm -hmm. And there are studies that support high dose, like one or two high doses early on an infection can do well. I mean, I'm talking about up to a hundred thousand units, like in a dose or two for adults. And like for kids, I would 
easily go up to 20, 30,000 uh, IUs for a kid, for a young kid for like a day or two. It's not going to kill them. You know, it's, it's, but it just can be that extra boost that you need. Um, if you do, instead of the cod liver oil, you do the vitamin D, you can also get like vitamin A drops and same thing. You do a higher dose in the first day or two. Uh, that those are options there. Then I love homeopathy. You mm -hmm. can actually just Google homeopathy for RSV. Now homeopathy is a little sugar pellets. And I've seen people like in the medical field go nuts. And honestly, I've been harassed. I even had an old high school classmate, you know, tag their pharmacist and the pharmacist started attacking me on my integrity, pushing like homeopathy. Like homeopathy is really this amazing system of medicine from Germany for over 200 years. And it cured my middle child of an autoimmune disease, an incurable autoimmune disease. So I have full gratitude for homeopathy. But the problem is there's a real art to it. So unless you know what you're doing, like you can easily pick one and do nothing. But the nice thing is a baby can take a whole thing of those little sugar pellets and not die from it. So mm -hmm. it's so safe. It is so safe. Mm -hmm. You know, like a DM medicine for a cough, you can actually die. Kids can die from that, but right. they're not going to die from this homeopathy unless they choke on the bottle. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it is so safe. So you can actually, but homeopathy is based upon the personality of an infection. So for instance, let's say you have an ear infection and in regular medicine, we just give that kid amoxicillin, but in homeopathy, the, there's, if you take 10 kids with ear infections, one has severe ear pain, they're screaming, their face is red. The next kid is lethargic and wimpy. The next kid is like clingy and they just want to hold on to mommy. The next kid is like puking. So each of those are personalities of the ear infection. So each of those have their own remedy. So you look up ear infections, homeopathy, and it gives you those things and you pick the one closest to that. Um, so it actually works. And so for flu, for instance, my favorite remedies are the oscillococcinum that you see out there. That's a good one. But honestly, I usually use alternate belladonna and aconitum. Aconitum is A-C-O-N-I-T-U-M. And belladonna, which is not the plant, it's the homeopathy. The plant itself is poisonous, mm -hmm. uh, but the homeopathy is not. So, and I'll alternate like every hour or two. I'll just not go between belladonna and the um, aconitum. And usually within a couple hours, it's gone. Uh, it's so wow. fast. Um, elderberry syrup has tons of data for the flu and, and upper respiratory uh, illnesses. So like during RSV flu season, you know, you can actually just do daily elderberry, you know, along with that and just jack it up to like every couple hours when you get sick. That's that has natural vitamin C, but it also has actual antiviral properties. Exlear that nasal spray also has antiviral properties. So if you start to get sick, you just start using that regularly. Another thing I discovered during COVID, which I was, my mind was blown, was hydrogen peroxide and humidifiers or nebulizers. Yes. Uh, that one, there's a fear. Like I still would not want to inhale deeply into my lungs peroxide. But if you actually, since COVID, a couple of times I've started to get a cold, I just throw a little splash of hydrogen peroxide in my humidifier and I just hang my nose over it, <laughs> the, up my nose. And within a couple hours, it's gone. It's like, it's, gone, it's just gone. My cold is gone within hours. So if you can get a kid to sit there, you know, that'd be great. Um, or even a nebulizer, you do like a little splash in the nebulizer with some distilled water. Now, if it burns too much, you keep diluting until it doesn't burn too much. Um, but you can sit there and just, I, I wouldn't even like, do it very long. I do it for like a couple of minutes until it kind of started irritating me. And I put it down. 
and I pick it up another hour or two later and put it down. So you don't have to, it's not like a, an albuterol treatment. You have to do the hole until it dries up. You just, just keep killing the germs in your sinuses and that works great. And so when, if you can combine the humidifiers and maybe throw some hydrogen peroxide in it, you know, clean out your sinuses, some cod liver oil, some elderberry syrup, that alone should do great. Now, obviously, you know, there's still more chiropractors. I love chiropractors, you know, especially when people have pulmonary things, they can do things to open up your chest and your breathing. Um, there's even some techniques I've learned about getting mucus out of your chest. I teach families how to like suck the mucus out of your chest. NAC is one of the supplements during COVID that they tried to take from us, yeah. um, but we still have, thank God, N-acetylcysteine or NAC, NAC, um, that thins the mucus in your lungs and in your sinuses, but it also increases glutathione. Your glutathione is a very potent antioxidant in your body, helps you fight off infection. Something that decreases glutathione is Tylenol. Tylenol de decreases glutathione and also lowering, if you take Tylenol, it lowers fever. We don't want you to lower your fever with Tylenol and Motrin um, unless you just can't help it. Honestly, it's easier once you know homeopathy because you can manage the pain and everything with homeopathy without having to resort to like ibuprofen. But I don't even have Tylenol in the house because mm -hmm. Tylenol, either, like I said, decreases glutathione <laughs> and, and it also... Fever helps fight off infection. Fever is God put fever in your body to literally kill viruses. Mm -hmm. So why are we going to do that? And I learned that when, when we saw the naturopaths in Charlotte's Peter Swans and Mike Smith, um, they're the ones who said, don't treat fever. And I didn't believe it. I was like worried, like, here I am a doctor. I'm like, what if they have a seizure? What if it goes so high in the middle of the night? Me too. As a doctor, they still didn't even train us even how to manage simple fever besides give Tylenol and Motrin every two hours, every three hours. You know, that's how we were taught to train, like to handle fevers. So fever really, it usually peaks in the middle of the night, like more like 11 o'clock at night. And then overnight, it actually starts going back down on its own. Now, if you're in the peak of something, it might stay up 24 seven, like initially, but is, there is a cap with which it goes up. Mostly there are rare circumstances. It might go up to 106, 107. Those are very dangerous levels. It freaks me out. Once, once I go over 105, yeah. You know, I start, I get nervous. Then yeah. I'd be like, all right, what's going on? But up to 105, even 104.5 in kids, it's like no big deal. Like that is like, if you let that fever go, that kid's going to get better in like a day or two. Mm -hmm. uh, versus like when I was treating them regularly, they would stay sick for like a week or two. When I stopped treating their fever, they're better sometimes in hours with homeopathy. It'd be like, like my daughter, she came in one day, um, like with a blanket, she's like, oh, on a Tuesday, I'm so sore from soccer, like two days before. And I'm like, that was like two days ago. Let me check. And she had a fever of 103. So I started doing, I put the thieves on her feet, the essential oil thieves on her feet. I alternated the aconitum and belladonna. And within three hours, she's completely fever free and fine. The next day she was like, had a little bit of a cough left over. It was like, that, that happened fact. with Sawyer, my son, my middle son recently, he had a like 102.8 fever. He felt, I mean, he felt just like really tired and lethargic and stuff. And, but I, I, we wasn't lethargic. He was just really tired, you know? So it wasn't like scaring me. And this was like truly the first time I didn't do anything for his fever 
I mean, for in a long time, because usually I well, what I usually like to do is wait to give the medicine at night because once the once you give the medicine and then they feel better, then they drive you crazy. So sometimes right. it's nice for them to have a fever and just snuggle <laughs> yeah. and just. But we always learned don't treat the fever, treat the patient. You know, so I gave it more not for the fever, but because they felt like crap. You know, and now I didn't do that at all. We did we did like the Epsom salt baths with some oils and stuff in there also, and did some oils. And um, we did the diffusers. I don't have the humidifier, but we have diffusers um, going everywhere. And I also have nebulizer and stuff. But it, it, he was better the next day. It was right. one day. He was, it was the best he's done, you know? It's, so it's amazing. And an interesting aside for those parents who are questioning if their kids are having vaccine reactions, my oldest, there's a phenomena in children with autism and encephalitis that when they have fever, they actually act more normal. Oh, yeah. They actually, and my oldest was that way. We always joked when she was very sweet and happy. We're like, what's going on? She was, a, she had a lot of brain injury. And again, she, now she's totally fine, like through brain balance and, you know, homeopathy and functional medicine. But when she was young, I was just like, she was always kind of like edgy and stressed out. And, but when she had fever, she was like calm and happy. And they think it's actually whenever you have such brain, uh, like an autoimmune reaction going on in the brain, when you have the sickness somewhere else, the, the immune system goes elsewhere. So then the brain can actually calm down while it's fighting off infection. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing. If you, one of your uh, listeners out there, your kid actually gets better with fever, calmer with fever, your kid had probably has some autoimmune stuff going on in the brain. And so it's worth seeing a functional medicine doctor for that. Wow. Pretty interesting tidbit there. It took me years later to figure that, to find that out. When I heard that at a conference, I'm like, you know, it just made wow. sense. Obviously I knew she had encephalitis. So, yeah. wow. Well, t- okay. So Cammie, now that we know, first of all, we know how to do some things to prevent uh, flu or certainly severity flu or RSV in ourselves and our children. We know how to treat. We don't have to panic. Um, and then we also know the risks of the flu vaccine and the lack of efficacy of the flu vaccine. <laughs> So now you know these things, as we talked about, you you know them because of your experience, both as a patient, as a mom, as a doctor. Um, and now we mentioned before, and we want to make sure we say this before we wrap this up. Now you're on a path to, um, obviously you're, you are an MD, but you practice more as this functional integrative doctor. You're on a path to provide that and to help people get access to that, regardless of income. Because like you said, we don't want it to become... Mm-hmm. something only for the elites or only the wealthy, right? Where we can change the system. And I believe it, correct me if I'm wrong, but your idea is to create a hospital, as you talked about in the Charlotte area, but have it be sort of the prototype to where we can build these, because our listeners are all around the globe at this point. So um, the reason why I feel like even if you're not in Charlotte and none of us, uh, Amy, Chris and I are not, that you want this prototype to happen because it's something that we can we can duplicate elsewhere. So as we wrap this up, Kimmy, will you just talk a little bit more about that vision and then how we can get involved or perhaps bring these ideas to our areas? Yes. Um, so on my website, if you go to bentonintegrative.com, you'll find a lot of stuff there. But one thing is that it'll, it'll give you a link to the Compass Integrative Health and it'll list the town hall meetings that we have. So we have a regular town hall meeting. So then people can ask questions and get updates on it. Um, also a fun thing is that there's under resources, I have a blog and self-care thing that you can actually learn ways of managing ear infections and colds and flus naturally. So you can get all my tips there. That's for everyone to see too. 
So the Compass Integrative Health is just came forward. Our, our goal is to, again, there's wellness places across the country popping up, which is amazing, awesome. But we want to be able to integrate some of the stuff for sick people, because as we saw during the pandemic, sick people were turned away. Um, doctors turned away their own patients, you know, primary care doctors, urgent cares, ERs. And people were not just turned away, but they were often harassed and threatened and um, they couldn't receive care. They were refused care. Like, you know, and it didn't matter if a woman had, you know, PTSD from being brutally raped. If she didn't go in with a mask, they would not give her care. There was no such thing as an exemption for that. And so that broke my heart to, to think of all the people who died alone. And so we want to be able to have um, sort of an integrative urgent care. And, and it sounds kind of a crazy situation, but let's say you break your arm. Okay, we'll still cast you. You know, mm -hmm. you'll still get the cash. You'll still see the orthopedist, but we have PEMF technology. There's homeopathy. There's comfrey compress. Let's say you break your toe. Comfrey compresses can help heal fractures very fast. And so teaching how to use comfrey compresses, uh, or if you have an ear infection, I was, that was one big thing. How dare chiropractors think they can treat ear infections? Well, I barely, rarely have to treat ear infections in the last 10 years because I just send them to the chiropractor, do some garlic eardrops, a little homeopathy, chiropractor, and they are fine within less than a day. You know, so be able to have a chiropractor on site to help with sort of acute illness uh, is what we want to be able to do and the back pain things. So we want to have that. We want to have um, a, a birthing center that has the prenatal because helping people get ready for their bodies mentally, physically, spiritually, because we know so much more about even the spiritual transmission of traumas into the unborn child. Mm -hmm. Kind of a cool note is that when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother at five months, the egg that made me was already in my mother's ovary. So I was actually, the egg that made me was already in my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So you think about uh, generational traumas and transmission of uh, that. So being able to have the prenatal option for women to get ready for their babies. And then obviously midwifery and, and appropriate OBG obstetrics, you know, obviously thank God for life-saving C-sections if you really need it, but we have the most in the world. Um, then postnatal care, we want to have a 23 hour observation. Half times people just need a little extra boost. Like they need some IV flows. They need some intravenous antibiotics, but they can go home for the night you know, mm -hmm. and then just come back the next morning and they don't have to stay in a hospital. But then ultimately we'd love to get the hospital where we can have someone's intubated. You know, they still, we still do everything that needs to be done to save lives, but we might have something where they roll up the door and you can roll them out in sunshine, get fresh air while they're healing, you know, bring in energy. There's frequency medicine that is like a legit science out there now is, is the spiritual energetic stuff, um, chiropractic, acupuncture, Reiki, you know, it freaks some people out the energy medicine. You don't have to have it if you don't want it. But, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people do believe in it. There is a lot of science. I love it. I love it. Love it. You know, having a spiritual center there, having, you know, the biohacking center where we can have, you know, right now we know hyperbaric chambers can dramatically improve brain function after traumatic brain injury, after strokes, but hospitals don't do it because insurance just doesn't cover it. They'll do it for diabetic wounds, but not for brain injury because there's not enough money in it, right? So we have, so wouldn't it be great if we can have the hyperbaric chambers to help kids with autism, help kids, people with their injuries outpatient, but also utilize it for people when they are sick in the hospital. So we can have the biohacking, the optimization of health, like section that is also being utilized by the very sick. 
you know, and honestly, still even having the community out there, having you know, the plants, you know, the, the local schools working on the agriculture, having food grown there for the inpatient use, like oh. learning the nutrition for truly yeah. health. It's like yeah. the layers and layers of things <laughs> and working with the environment, working with the, the you know, my fiance, he's the statistics. So he's wanting to work on even the the not only the stats for like collecting data for those people who like I want the science great we want the science too um he is going to do that but he's also very environmental and so he's wanting to work within the environment and have this a sustainable hospital so this is part of the we call it the new earth as hippies call it the new earth the new medical system to create this compassionate love-based system and even I think my challenge with that because we already have the architect we have the construction people and I think we have all the integrative healers. What I need prayers for too, is not only money to help us like still in the process is taking this money to hire these lawyers and this and that. Um, but we also need prayers to bring in the nurses, the doctors that are still like, it's hard to get the nurses and doctors that are already so awake that they're in their own businesses already. So we're trying to capture those people that are disgruntled from the system, mm -hmm. but they want something different. And uh, but then we're going to be creating new training programs to de-traumatize uh, them from the corporate system. So then they don't bring in their yeah they hate it, but then they come and they bring all their own traumatic stuff with them. So we we already have someone who she's an LPN who's done uh, some integrative stuff uh, with doctors up in the Northeast, and so create pro, uh, training programs and retreats for all everyone whether it's the wow. janitor the secretary the you know the medical records person everyone has to go through these trainings to say this is why we're doing it differently mm -hmm. but to remind them why they got in the healthcare in the first place because most people forgot right. and even if they remember distantly how do i do it differently Right. So this is how to do it. Unlearning. It's the un <laughs> that is so. That, that might be like the most important piece, honestly, because right. you know it's like when we say you hate your state that you're living in, you hate the policies, so you move somewhere else and you continue to vote the same way. Like <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like you have to. The last thing you want is really talented doctors and nurses coming over that are talented, but they are bringing in any piece of the old system into your new system mm -hmm. you know right right so we have that but we also met a woman i'm so excited about this um we've met a couple people actually there are within the cryptocurrency system trying to create tokens they're trying to tokenize the charity piece but also how how to create a new financial structure around medical care because you know the insurance uh, insurance systems are often tied to medicare regulations that, well, we know if you uh, take Medicare, you have to be vaccinated and, and they, they create all these demands on you. So we cannot take Medicare and Medicaid. We can't. So we just can't uh, to get out of their, the, their system that went awry. And I think there's, it's not all bad. I think there's some good ideas about Medicare and Medicaid. I'm not saying it's all hundred percent bad, but comes with the regulation of, of true medical freedom. Right. So we were trying to come up work with MediShares like Samaritans and Crowd Health um, that can actually reimburse and uh, like I said, tokenizing the healthcare so then people can actually pay with their cryptocurrency. How can we or or get credit? So we had this woman, uh, she owns Sovereign Hive and she's trying to tokenize that. She's trying to help create the system and then have this financial sort of over um like an umbrella kind of thing. And then we have the pods, like the compass integrative. There might be another pod here. And, 
you know, and we do this across the country, maybe even globally if we can. So that way she can vet, we can vet out like, yeah, these are like compassion-based integrated people. And it's going to be based on reviews and that kind of thing. How can we really protect the system? Because if I take investors, let's say I'm like, oh, the Waltons from Walmart say they want to invest in my place and they're going to give me the entire amount. Well, then they're going to want to be able to be tied to the decision-making and then they're going to want to squeeze in all the old stuff we don't want. So this is where we're going to be working with these different financial structures to really maintain the integrity of our hopes and our dreams for, for this medical care for all people, all people. This way we have the nonprofit so we can target domestic violence victims. We can help mm. minority groups, disenfranchised groups, po you know, impoverished groups. You know, we want this to be for everyone as much as possible. And then all this is going to reverberate and the ripple effect is going to be global. So this isn't just for Charlotte. This is for us by us. And this is just one of the seeds. And I believe this stuff is happening really across the country. Like there, people are just, there are, there's a physicians for physicians and patients reclaiming medicine group. Now that's out. Like there's, there are groups out there. There's apparently I, I've heard rumors of there's a new Arkansas medical school. They're trying to build that's a functional medicine oh. um, school, which is exciting, except for I'm here and now they're getting funding from, Cleveland Clinic and oh. the Walton. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. I was like, yeah, same, same as me. I was like, I don't know. They're still in the early parts and maybe they might, they might win back, but that was my good thing to see. I'm like, okay, note to self. That's I don't care. The Walton. You can be bought and paid for so easily. Right. And that's what happens. Right. And yeah. then you start making concessions, right? Like, well, we could just do, you know, and then, and then, then you're in the politics that are in the United States now, right? Where good people, maybe with good hearts, decide to go serve the American public and are very quickly, mm -hmm. they're disabled by the right. system, right? And so that's why it's like, I keep thinking of the old wineskins uh, parable, you know, that you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. And there's, that's, I think where we've got to be really careful is you got to bring the good. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You got to bring the good from what we have learned in modern medicine. Um, and we've got to empower that, uh, you know, to really go to work. I, I keep thinking of, you know, Dr. Um, oh my gosh, y'all, what's his name? Paul something the, the, with the vitamin C therapies. And he found yeah. vitamin C. Dr. Merrick. Merrick, yeah. yeah, Dr. Merrick, you know, we've got to have more of that, right? When we discover things like really he's disgruntled power. and he loves people. Yeah. Let's get, get, get him in. <laughs> and then we're, we're going to be doing this. This is the beauty is that this is happening everywhere. And yeah. since we decided to do this a year ago, people are speaking of it. And I believe in the idea is more people speak of it, it will happen. Mm -hmm. And our hearts in the right place. And every time I've, you know, God, I'm like, like last year, I was like, God, I want to have a birthing center. And four days later, an OBGYN calls. Hey, I hear you have, you know, you're like, God's making it happen. This is like, that's the beauty is that it doesn't have to be me or someone else. It is happening mm -hmm. collectively that we are calling this forward. And we are, we are reaching that critical mass, I believe, because thank, and thanks to COVID, thanks to the corruption, thanks to the evil, wow. thanks to right. all that, we're having an equal and opposite reaction of the good and the love and the creation. And this is what we're here for. And you ladies are, each of us are doing our little part, you know, our, you, you guys are getting information out there. You know, I'm sitting there like, 
running my mouth on doing this kind of thing. I don't know. We're each doing our own little parts, but it's going to take all of us collectively to make this happen. So I'm so excited to have you ladies doing That's this. That's why we want to talk about it because we want to connect all those people because, you know, alone we can do so little, but together we can do so much. And I feel like if there are all these people that kind of want to do something, but don't know how to start, you know, it's like, we're great, good at great ideas, but you know, have great intentions, but like the action and you are acting, but if everybody's together yeah. or connected, then it would just be amazing. So we want y'all, whoever's hearing this, please tell everybody about it. Please share. Yeah. Uh, please uh, invest if you can or go try to donate. Work. <laughs> right now we need donations to get us through right. some initial humps at least. Uh, it's tax. It is tax deductible donations, right? You, yes. Yeah. So, so as you're as you're approaching the end of the year and you're looking for places to give, this is an idea of where you could give and. And again, as, as Cami said, and Kristen just reiterated, open your mouth and talk about this. And yes. yes, there is cognitive dissonance. But again, as Cami kind of just said, the last two years has made people question and open their minds more to these possibilities. So have these conversations. It doesn't have to be an argument. Ask people, do they know? Sometimes it's just asking a question. Hey, did you know X, Y, Z? And, mm -hmm. you know, and just opening their minds and helping all of us, because I do believe we are getting to the tipping point in a lot of areas in this country where more people are aware of the corruption of things that are happening and then aware of what's true. And the way that's going to happen, guys, is not just you listening to a podcast or you going to see Cami as your physician. It is going to happen when all of us talk to our families and our friends and we just have the conversations and start the conversations. Don't have to be, be arguing, just asking questions. Just talk. Be brave. Bring be brave. Be brave. And this is the time. You'd be surprised. You're probably going to be pleasantly surprised that there's a lot of people that are actually already thinking this, but they think they're crazy for thinking it. And then when they know that you're thinking the same thing, they're going to be like, oh, let's form an alliance. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and just also having compassion, though, for people who haven't woken up yet, because at some point that was us. Right. Yep. I made my family get the flu shot. Yep. Like three right. in a row. Yep. Right. I watched my kid have neurologic reactions multiple times. Yep. Like it takes some undoing. Right. It takes grace. Remember, God gives us so much grace we can't imagine. So we try to give ourselves grace for right. not knowing better, trying to give them grace. And again, I'm saying that I've had to do my own work of forgiveness in this last hey. two years. I'm like, having to do some work. You yeah. know, but it's a good opportunity to practice forgiveness and love yeah. and that grace, right? We, right. we just remind ourselves of that. And the people who blocked us, you know, because I've had, I've lost my fair share of doctor friends, right. you know, in the last couple of years, which is really sad. But then I've gained new tribes, That's new it. tribes of doctor friends, new tribes of nurses and medical people. We, we have a new tribe and it's okay. And as we grow our new tribe of people, then we create the light. We are the light, right? And so as we shine our lights, then those people from the darkness that choose or choosing to say that right now, they're eventually going to wake up mm -hmm. one way or the other. They're going to like, all right, where do I go? They're going to go see the light and they're going to head this direction. So we're building that new way for them and that God has opened up our eyes to. And he is, he's creating all these avenues and, and connecting us together and nothing's an accident. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I could go for so long about all the synchronicities and the yeah. the coincidences that are really just really intentionally put there for us to learn and grow and connect mm -hmm. so, and that's yeah. and that's the beauty of, of all of this so for those of you i know we have a lot of listeners who say you ladies make me feel not alone mm -hmm. you're not alone you're not alone and there there are millions 
of us literally who see what you see. You're not alone. And really one of the ways to find your tribe, your network in the same way that I found Cami all those years ago was because my sister and I had a conversation and she saw something and she cared enough about me that I knew. And did I believe everything she said right away? No, no, I did. I, I questioned all of it, but in time she had planted the seeds that right. then grew and began to bear fruit. And now my children's yeah, lives will be different. Yeah. <laughs> my children's lives will be different. My grandchildren's lives will be different because that seed was planted. So just have courage, plant the seed, plant have the, seed. the talks. You will find your people. I promise you are not alone. Tammy. Don't focus on trying to change somebody's mind. Because no. sometimes you can't. Mm -hmm. And those people, you cannot change them, but plant the seed. Yep. yep. And just pray. And That's love, right. Love them through it. Yep. Love, love them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> Cami, thank you, thank you so, so much. much. We appreciate you so much. You're the best. We love thank you. you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys.